My guest today is the Executive Medical Director of Anesthesia Services at a major hospital center. Please welcome Dr. Semhar Olubami. Semhar, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good, RJ. How are you? I'm doing fine. Everything is good. Yes. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So, hey, you want to jump right into this? Let's do it. All right. So, what do you do? Well, short answer is I'm a doctor, a medical doctor. And long answer is I'm an anesthesiologist. That is my professional specialty. I take care of patients while they are in the operating room having surgery done. So I put patients to sleep and the goal is always to wake them up at the end. We also do other things like place epidurals for patients who are having babies. We also do pain procedures. So we take care of patients who have long-term pain issues. This is just kind of a gamut of what anesthesiologists do. Myself personally, I mainly take care of patients who are in the operating room on a day-to-day basis, having surgery for some type of issue that they're having and put them to sleep and wake them back up. I also, in my particular day-to-day, take care of acute pain patients, so patients who've had surgery and after their surgery, they're having some issues with pain afterwards. And so they need a specific expertise. And so we have what we call a pain service. So I spend a week, a month for them on average rotating on a pain service, taking care of patients who are having some type of pain issue after a procedure. Okay, great. Now let's back up. Have you always been interested in being a doctor? Yeah, I would say I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Definitely in middle school, I can distinctly remember watching the show ER, George Clooney. And and I just had this fascination with kind of medicine and taking care of sick patients. And so the earliest memory I probably have was definitely like late elementary school, fourth, fifth grade. And I remember being in middle school thinking I was going to be, I thought I was going to be a neurosurgeon, but you know, life happens and you progress through and I realized that that's not exactly what I wanted to do, but that was the vision I had then. But I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I knew I wanted to go into medicine. And so when I went into college, that's kind of where I had my eye. I continued on with that path and stuck with it, basically. Yeah. Um, decided to do anesthesiology, which is definitely not, <laughs> definitely different than when I was a younger kid, but I thought maybe I was going to do neurosurgery. And then as I progressed through, even in medical school, I realized I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. And so that was also a challenging time because a lot of people decide when you're in medical school, you, you go through four years of um, training. So it's your first and second year in the classroom doing medical school. And then your third year is in the hospital doing rotations. And that year is meant for you to kind of decide what you want to be. You know, you right. know, you want to be a doctor, but what kind of doctor do you want to be? And so they describe that you're going to have like this aha moment that you're just going to know what you want to be. And I never quite had that. I went through surgery. So I was like, okay, well, I thought maybe surgery. Nope. I went through medicine. Nope. I did OB-GYN. No, didn't quite click. And so my very last rotation, which was actually entering my fourth year was anesthesiology. And that's when I knew, okay, this is what I want to do. This is it for me. So, yeah. And what was it? Do you remember what it was that really? Oh, 
you know. Did you gravitate to I th- it? Well, there's a couple things. One, I liked the fact that I could take care of sick patients, but then also take care of healthy patients. Mm. So I kind of liked that you had a little bit of, of a mix of that, that at the time, the resident that I was shadowing at that time when I was in medical school, he let me do a lot of the procedures and kind of, you know, taught me a lot of the physiology that was happening at the time. And that very much interested me. And um, I kind of had a little uh, fascination with that. Um, you have to know a lot of pharmacology. And so that was interesting to me as well. Um, so kind of all of those things blended together and I was very much interested. And so decided that was what I was going to do. Great. All right. And you went Texas all the yeah. way through, right? The Texas systems all the way through. Okay. For med school, I did. undergrad. Yes. Undergrad was obviously at UT Austin. Mm-hmm. For medical school, I went to UT San Antonio or it's called officially, I think it, now it's called UT San Antonio School of Medicine, but at the time it was called UT Health Science Center San Antonio. And then when I graduated, so when you're done with medical school, you apply for residency and in the, in the specialty that you want to go into. And it's a match process. So y- you interview all over the United States of all these places that you are interested in and they rank you and then you rank them. And whichever place ranks you the highest and whichever place you rank that matches, it's called the match, is where you end up. And it's kind of a big deal. And in, in, in medical school, it's a big deal. It's your fourth year. It's a big party. It's usually in March. Match day is in March. And it's celebrated kind of every day. It's the same time every day for all the medical schools across the United States. Wow. And you get your envelope. They call your name. So they, you know, I just remember them calling my name. I walked across the stage and I opened my envelope and I saw that I was going to be going to UT Houston, which was uh, my number one choice. That's yeah. awesome. So I came back to Houston for residency. That is awesome. All right. Yeah. Now, okay. And can you talk about just residency, how that was, what that experience was like? Yes. I want to forget residency. It was <laughs> a lot about, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, residency, you know, it's, it's, interesting because it's like it's one of those things that as you're going through it you are definitely you working a lot you think it's never going to end but then when it's done you're like wow I mean I grew so much I learned so much I miss this and I miss that so when I reflect back on it it's definitely no I don't want to do it again but it was four years so you do your intern year And for me, that just happened to be a rotation of different specialties. And it basically, it's meant to give you a good foundation for you to build the rest of your specialty on. So for me, it was meant to build, like, to be a good anesthesiologist, you know, you do rotations in surgery and emergency medicine, in the ICU, in general medicine. So you spend that year doing that. And then the next three years, I spent doing just anesthesiology. So that was like, working in the operating room and you're supervised by someone who's finished residency and is experienced. And so you spend three years doing a rotation a month at a time on different specialties of, of anesthesiology. So CV anesthesiology, OB anesthesiology, general anesthesiology, uh, regional anesthesiology, et cetera. And so you are technically allowed to work up to 80 hours a week and you take call every third or fourth night generally speaking. And my call was about weeknights were about 16 hours. And then weekday calls were, or sorry, weekend calls were 24 hours. Mm. So you would work every third or fourth night and be on call, depending on if it was a weekend or, or weekday. 
and then just do that for the next three years. And then it's finished. It's over. And you are meant to give you the tools to become an experienced anesthesiologist. And I mean, you know, that's the whole point, I guess, of residency. Right. right. And that's the first yeah. time you actually get paid. They pay you a little bit. Is that correct? In residence? Yeah. No. They, they, yes, they do pay you. Mm. Correct. Yes. That's the first time you're actually, it's your first job. Right. If, you know, if you, you know, for some people who went all the way through college, I mean, undergrad, medical school, then residency, residency is their first time actually making money. Right. Or, right. you know, earning a paycheck. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. Now you mentioned monitoring your patients. How do you do that during surgery? What are you doing to monitor them? Yeah. So we use what's called an electrocardiogram. So it monitors the heart and the rhythm of the heart, which is put on a, a monitor that we usually watch during the surgery. We use blood pressure monitoring. So it's either a blood pressure cuff. Sometimes depending on the type of surgery that a patient is having, we'll place what's called an arterial line, which is an IV that goes in their wrist that helps monitor their blood pressure. And it allows us to draw labs and check their blood as well throughout the procedure. And then the last probably major monitor is called a pulse oximeter. And that measures the blood oxygen level in the patient's blood. So with every heartbeat, your body kind of has a, a, a blood oxygenation level that tells you how well your cells are oxygenating. So then that's what we use to monitor that. So those are probably the three major blood pressure, heart rate, and pulse oximeter, the three major things that we use to monitor during the procedure. Okay, nice. Or now during what, the surgery, yeah. During the, and then, now what about the different anesthesias? What are the different anesthesias and when do you use them? So for the most part, I think general anesthesia is when you put a patient to sleep and you place a breathing tube. This is very generic overview, yeah, by the way. Right, very high level. Um, yep. so, okay, <laughs> very high level, yeah. <laughs> so you put a patient to sleep and you will place a breathing tube to help them breathe during their procedure and you administer anesthetic gases. So as you're giving them a breath and breathing for them, you're giving them medicine to breathe in through their breathing tube, which actually keeps them asleep. Alternatively, you could use some IV medication to keep a patient to sleep at the same time, but that's generally what's done. There's something called regional anesthesia, and that's when you, like if you go to the dentist and they pull your tooth, they inject numbing medicine, right? That's a regional anesthesia technique. So if you were to have a surgery on your foot and you didn't want to go to sleep, they could inject numbing medicine around the nerve that supplies your foot and your foot would go to sleep and the surgeon could operate while you're awake and talking to somebody. And that's called regional anesthesia. So that's another type of anesthesia that's generally, that can be used as well. It can't be used for every type of procedure, but it's something that's available as an alternative method. And then I think the other common thing that most people know about is OB anesthesia, which is when you can place an epidural or a spinal for someone who's having a baby. And that's to help them through the labor process or when they're having a C-section. Okay. And so those are kind of, I guess, the kind of broad overview of what the different types of anesthesia is available okay. to a patient when they come to the hospital. Yeah. And then days before the procedure, I'm guessing you're looking at medical records to see if asthma or heart related diseases or anything like that before working on a it's patient? Actually, you know, interestingly, a lot of times the OR schedule is actually not finalized till the day before. Oh, okay. So we, um, and in most institutions, I would say, you know, your case the day before. Okay. 
So the day before this OR schedule is finalized and you have someone, an anesthesiologist, who is generally the person in charge of making the schedule for the next day, will go through the schedule and they'll make assignments and they'll assign the anesthesiologist to the case. Um, and if it's like a very, you know, there's some type of um, surgeries that require a specific type of anesthesiologist. Like if you're gonna have open heart surgery, I would not be your anesthesiologist because I don't have that kind of training mm -hmm. on a more specific level. And so some people do. And so that person would then be assigned to your case or some institutions, they have people who've trained to be an OB anesthesiologist or who've trained to do specific type. And so that person would then be assigned to your, your case. But generally speaking, the surgery schedule is not completed until the day before and the anesthesiologist is not assigned until the day before either. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And in most places, it's, it's a kind of a care team model. So we work it's anesthesiologists and they work with CRNAs or maybe anesthesiology assistants. And then if you're working at say a teaching hospital where you're working with residents who also are training, so then you would be in charge of the resident who's trained. Okay. And then you guys are also deciding when the patient goes home or when a patient goes to a regular room. Is that your job as well at the end of surgery? Yes. So at the end of surgery, when the surgery's done, the patient will actually spend an hour or so in the recovery room and it's called the post-anesthesia care unit. And so they spend time there and an anesthesiologist is generally the person in charge of that unit. And so whenever they are done with recovery from anesthesia, they're either discharged to their room or they're discharged home. It's whatever, whatever disposition the, the, the surgeon has decided. Okay. So the surgeon ultimately decides whether the patient needs to stay because he needs to, he or she needs to do X or watch them because they've had a certain type of surgery. But our decision ends with the post anesthesia care unit. So our care ends at that time. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then I'm just curious on this. You mentioned the patients with, and I know you said you don't deal with these patients as much, but patients that have chronic pain, what type of procedures do uh, anesthesiologists do with these type of patients? They'll do like steroid injections in the back or maybe okay. radiofrequency ablations or something like that. Mm. And so I guess to just kind of back up a little bit, once you're done with residency, and this is really for most medical specialties, you can decide to what's called a fellowship and to subspecialize even further. Okay. And so in anesthesiology, it's a four years of residency, and then you can decide if you want to do a one-year fellowship. So the different fellowships are CV anesthesia, OB anesthesia, chronic pain anesthesia, regional anesthesia, pediatric anesthesia. I'm sure I'm missing something, but those are just off top. Those are a few that you can do. And so critical care or ICU is another fellowship. So you can decide to subspecialize into one of those specialties. And so you spend an additional year of training doing that. I did not do that. I just did four years of residency and then I went out and worked. But if you had done a year of chronic pain anesthesia fellowship, then you would take care of someone who has chronic pain issues. So maybe they have chronic lower back pain. Maybe they have cancer and they have chronic pain from the cancer that they have or you know, maybe they've had an injury to their arm from a long time ago. And so that is causing them a lot of pain. And so they'll follow with a chronic pain anesthesiologist who will then decide what procedures they could offer them that would help get rid of the pain, or maybe they're managing them with just pain medications orally. Got it. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So now can we talk about what a typical day of yours looks like? 
Sure. So I have to be at work in time for the first patient to get into the operating room by 7 a.m. So that means that I generally get to work by 6.30. So my day starts fairly early. I get to work by 6.30 and I'm seeing my first patient um, and kind of, you know, meeting them for the first time and having a conversation about what they can expect. And once that's completed and we've gotten them all ready for surgery, we roll into the operating room and we have to be in the OR by seven o'clock. So once we get the patient off to sleep and get the patient settled and the surgery is started, I usually have two, maybe three rooms. So I'll usually be supervising three other operating rooms in addition to the one I've started. So I'll go start all the operating rooms. I'm usually giving breaks to the people that I'm supervising so that they can have some time. I'm also seeing my next patient. So whatever cases I'm doing after, subsequent to the cases that I'm in right now, I go see those patients, introduce myself and kind of examine those patients and get them ready for surgery. And once the surgery is done, get the patient awake and get them off to the recovery room. And I usually go back and visit my patients afterwards in the recovery room, make sure they're doing okay, check on their pain, see how they're doing. And that's kind of on a day-to-day basis. It's like on repeat, you know, with each case. So sometimes you might have five or six cases in a day. Sometimes I'll only have a couple of long cases. So I only have two patients for the whole day. The one thing I will say about my job is I never really know when I'm going to go home. So I know that I get to work at 6.30. That is a given because I need the 30 minutes to go see two or three of my patients and make sure, you know, I know enough about them and can get them off to sleep safely. But the going home part or the evening part is kind of, I think, a little bit gray. And that's because we don't know when the surgeries are going to finish. And so you have to wait till your surgeries are done or your cases are finished and the OR is finishing. So that process is not as black and white. Have you had any surgeries that lasted like throughout the night? You know, I've been at work very late taking care of patients, but one case that goes the whole night, not, not really. I have been on call where I've gotten called in to come take care of a patient in the middle of the night over several hours, but not something that started at 7 a.m. and finishes at like midnight or something okay. like that. Yeah. So I covered liver transplant anesthesia at an institution that I worked at for a few years. And so those cases can go for several hours. And so have been called in and covered for several hours, but nothing that started at seven and finished late yeah. like that. That's amazing. Um, usually the cases features. will finish and maybe, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, that's the best part of the job is either a take care of someone who's really sick and they end up doing really well. Mm-hmm. And you weren't sure that that was going to be the outcome. And so like that just gives you a different type of energy because it's, it's just a, it's a blessing to watch that, you know, like, wow, okay, this patient was really sick. The surgery was really big. Not sure that the patient's really going to do that well for various reasons. Right. And they end up doing very well. And the next day you go see them and they're awake, talking to you, joking with you, doing well. And you're like, wow, medicine is, that's amazing. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> like that's, you know, that's amazing. It still amazes me every time. So a lot of these amazing procedures that you're talking about, there's also just, it seems like a lot of new techniques and new technologies and and things that they're doing these days. So what are some new things that you've seen that have kind of blown you away or have you seen any? I mean, I think in general, just knowing that different medications that come out Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, I mean, even now we're like, we went from, I mean, I hate to be cliche and talk about the pandemic, but here we are in the pandemic. 
with a vaccine mm-hmm. that we didn't know would be here by now. Right. And that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that is, it's amazing. It's amazing because, you know, we're looking at, I don't know, last I, I read was over 300,000 people have died. And yeah. in, in a year, less than a year, actually 10 months, yeah. we've been able to get a vaccine and hopefully kind of stop the, the death that's happening right now and the morbidity of, of COVID. I mean, and that's, that's medicine, mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's why you were yeah. four or five years old wanting to get into this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> wow. It's wow. It's wow. And some, you know, I think there are times where I have to remind myself that's why I'm doing this. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. there are times where it is frustrating or it is, I think medicine has evolved too as a specialty and insurance companies can be challenging to work with and can make you feel like you don't want to do this anymore. But then you take care of someone who does really well or who's really grateful. Or I've had patients who are hurting really bad one day when I see them on, I'm on the pain service. And the next day we change things around and they, they're like, thank you for saving my life. And you really even, you feel like you didn't even really do anything that that was that dramatic, but they are so grateful for what you've done for them. And so it makes you appreciate your job. Yeah, definitely. It has to mean a lot to you. All right. Now, what about skills and characteristics? Besides the education that you learned in medical school and residency programs, what other skills and characteristics do you feel are important to be successful in what you do? I think you need to be, well, I guess I'm going to, I guess, talk about it from an anesthesiologist perspective. Mm -hmm. I think, I think you need to be flexible and you need to be able and willing to work with different types of personalities because as an anesthesiologist, you work with OR nursing or operating room nursing team. And you work with surgeons, you work with your patients, and you might work with either, you might work by yourself as an anesthesiologist, you might work with a CRNA, you might work with an anesthesiology assistant or other residents. So you are working with so many different personalities that you need to be able to navigate all of that in a professional way. And so I think that's something that you need to have as an anesthesiologist as well. I think as a physician, you need to have compassion and empathy for your patient and for your career and your specialty and for medicine and just and a humbleness for that. And so I think those are the critical things that you should have. And then you can't be cocky. <laughs> you also have to know when to ask for help. And so when maybe things with the patient aren't going so well and you need help or a patient's situation has turned dire or maybe the surgery is not quite going the way they want it, then, you know, you need to be able to ask for help too when necessary. So you can't be cocky. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. And then just to make sure, CRNA, is that a certified registered nurse anesthesiologist? Yes. Okay. Uh, Certified registered nurse anesthetist. Got it. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Now, you mentioned just taking care of people that are sick and helping them to get better. That's something that's the best part of what you do. Can you just talk about things that you love about what you do? Yeah, I would say um, like the thing that I love the most is when I come to work and maybe I'm expecting a challenge or maybe the case I was preparing for, I know is going to be difficult. And the surgeon has told me it's going to be a challenging case from their perspective as well. And things go just perfectly. Like they couldn't go any better and everybody's 
happy and the patient wakes up well and everything is ideally. And that's the perfect scenario, right? It doesn't always happen like that. And I would say that is what I love most is when that kind of scenario happens on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely sometimes take get a run for my money. <laughs> and, um, you know, it can be stressful um, yeah. trying to get to that end point. And there are times where you are definitely your heart is beating fast and you're just hopeful that all the things that you're doing will work out in favor of this patient. Prior to my current job, I worked at a trauma hospital. And so that always was a little bit exciting because, you know, you have trauma patients who are coming in who are always, you know, who are sick and they've been in a major car accident. They have like, everything is broken. I mean, head to toe and to see at the end when all of their surgeries are done. And this might be weeks later. It may not happen. It's not going to happen that day, but weeks later, you know, you may be seeing them or checking on them and they're doing so much better and they've Mm -hmm. just finished rehab. This that's powerful. Yeah, definitely. That's great. But what about the flip side though? What type of challenges are there for you? I know you mentioned the insurance companies as one, and all that you have to deal with that. Any other challenges for you? You also insurance mentioned the stress. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk yeah, about I that though. The insurance that. companies, like what what specifically is it? Just having to worry about everything you you say and do and write. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of it. Yeah. Also, part of it is getting reimbursed at yeah. rates that are efficient or appropriate. I think. It's always touchy talking about money and reimbursement and things like that. But I'll say this, you know, insurance companies are definitely, they're definitely doing fairly well for themselves at the expense of the patient and physicians and anybody else really that's working down the line from that. So I think that medicine has kind of evolved. And so you find that there's a lot of physicians that on to work for a hospital because they can't afford the overhead of having their own office anymore. Mm. The, the reimbursement rate has not grown with the inflation or with the cost of commercial real estate or with the cost of having to pay the salary of your nurse and of your admin staff. So they go to work for a hospital because the hospital can absorb that overhead. Um, and so, you know, you lose a lot of physicians who are just not interested in doing that anymore. Um, and so that I think is disheartening and I think can be some, you know, you have to remind yourself as you're doing it, that, you know, you're doing it for this reason and you're getting away from that. And also I think physicians, we need to, I guess, do a better job of lobbying our politicians to mm-hmm. help us, to help us. And I think we've kind of, we haven't done as good a job on that. Yeah. I think the stress part of it, at least for me, has, yes, there is stressful times and stressful moments. And it's not every day, but there are times where you're either A, you don't really know what's going on and things are not quite going the way you want it. And so that can be very stressful. I think there are certain cases that give you a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress where you're just kind of like, okay, walking into the case, knowing it because it's a big case or it's an intense case. And so... Mm-hmm. But you prepared for that. And I think those are the kind of situations where you kind of come in prepared and you're ready to kind of take it on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, what about when you get home? Is it easy for you to just turn it off? No, not always. <laughs> <laughs> not always. 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 Not
always. I mean, you know, we, I think we, I, and I think this is about a lot. You know, there are a lot of times where we take work home you mm-hmm. know, in general. It's not just physicians or, but no, I mean, I think about cases if, especially yeah. if something didn't quite go the way I wanted it to go, you know, All I right. think, okay, should I have done something differently? Is there something I could have done better? Yeah. You definitely call your friends who were anesthesiologists or and say, Hey, like I had this case, you know, this is what I did. What do you think? What would you have done differently? Yeah, you absolutely take it home. Not every day. And as you, I think, get further from your career, you learn better to separate work from home. But yeah, you do. You do take it home. And you think about that. And what could you have changed and how could you have done it better? I think that also makes you a better physician. Right. Because you learn from things and you think about things. And the more exposure you have to certain types of cases or patients, the better you are at doing it. That's why residency is so many hours for so many years, because you have to get that exposure and that repeat exposure and keep seeing those things over and over again. So you can become really good at taking care of it. Mm. Now, what hobbies do you have or what do you do to relieve stress? I only work. Now I'm just (laughs) Um, (laughs) No. So my kids take Mm -hmm. up a lot of our uh, a lot, of, a lot of my my extra time. <laughs> I love to read, mm-hmm. um, and currently reading Barack Obama's memoir. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love to read. I like to get lost in a book and just kind of I get lost in the characters and have always loved to read actually. And then you know, we like trying new restaurants and checking out new new restaurant spots and then traveling. I think with traveling too, you kind of get COVID actually ruined that for this year. But right. <laughs> in prior years, just kind of traveling and and getting away and be de-stressing and yeah yeah that's good that's great okay now do you have any memorable moments in your career that stand out memorable moments um you know yes a couple of moments that stand out i wouldn't say they were memorable but just moments that i will always carry with me Mm -hmm. my first patients that didn't do well Mm -hmm. i will always carry that with me and i always remember I remember my first, in my uh, prior job, I was at a teaching hospital with residents. So I will always remember the first class that when I started that job and then three years later graduated the first class. So those, the first class of residents that mm-hmm. I helped teach. So I always, those kind of things are very memorable. And you remember that kind of stuff nice. for years. What about going yeah. across the stage to find out where you're going for residency? Yeah, that, that was, that was a, I mean, it's like, it's almost like a surreal moment because, you know, your whole life, or at least my whole life, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. And then it's like, you go to undergrad, you go to medical school, and then you wait all of this time to figure out where to be. And then you open the envelope and (laughs) I mean, it was like UT Houston and my uh, Amos was there my dad was there. My best friends had come to watch me yeah. announce what I was going to say. I mean, it was, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah. And, and then, you know, my three, I have three very, very good friends from medical school. And so we're just all so excited for each other because, I mean, we had waited for that moment for, I guess, I guess at that point, eight years, you know, yeah. four years of college, four years of medical school. So that is awesome. I would also say finishing residency was a very memorable moment. Mm. So you build up the four years of undergrad, four years of medical schools, 
but then the four years of residency where you just, you're finished, like you're done. Like yeah. you're officially a doctor. That's it. I mean, <laughs> there's no more, there's no more relying on someone else to help you make a decision. There's no more thinking about, let me call my boss and see what they want me to do. Because in residency, any decision you make is always backed by somebody else. And so there's none of that. It's like, you're done. That's it. You're officially a doctor. And somebody's going to say, hey, doctor, what do you want to do for this? And then I remember my first day thinking, they're, they're asking me? Oh, okay. I guess, <laughs> I guess I need to make that decision, huh? <laughs> you were the doctor. But it, it, yeah. at that time, did you, did you travel anywhere? Did you, did you take any time off right after residency? Yeah, so I sure did. I took seven weeks off. <laughs> oh, nice. I took, okay. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I finished, I will never forget, I finished in August. I think it was August 12th, I believe. And I did not start till October 1st. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, went to Hawaii. Oh, man. Uh, went to Napa. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> Spent time with my daughter, who at that time was uh, 13 months. Mm. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Good for you. All right. Well, somehow we're at the end of this interview. I want to head over to the quick hitter session where I'm going to ask you some questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better. But before I do that, is there anything that anything additional you want to like to talk about or anything you you felt that I might have left off asking you? No, I think you covered. I mean, I think you covered you hit up all the all the key points, all the key things. I think you covered it. And I think the podcast is great. I, I think it allows, it allows especially people and the younger generation to get exposure to career paths that they may have never been, they never would have maybe thought of before. Mm -hmm. So it's great. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. It means a lot. And that's my goal. That's what I'm trying to do. So thank you. All right. So let's head to these quick hitter questions. Awesome. First one, what's your favorite sports team? Uh, the Longhorns. That's All right. Yeah. Welcome. Texas Longhorns. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big Longhorn fan. So nice basketball team's at least doing good this year. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're hoping for a football resurrection. Yes, <laughs> we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Favorite movie or show? Um, I would, Oh, favorite movie. I'd say probably coming to America is mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies. Coming out with, part um, two, so. I know. I just hope it doesn't ruin part one. I I mean, it's like, that's always, and yeah, so I'd say coming to America. All right. Favorite musical artist or group? Favorite artist is Beyonce. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. All right. Favorite vacation spot? Oh, that's hard. (laughs) That is very hard. I think, I would say Barcelona. Okay. Um, we went to Barcelona seven years ago and it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. And it's, I mean, we went to Paris first and Paris is, is nice. Don't get me wrong, but we went from Paris to Barcelona. And when I went to Barcelona, I was like, wow, I really love this place. The vibe, um, they have a beach and sightsee. They have, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Nice. All right. Favorite food or drink? Favorite drink is um, cab. Mm. I love red wine. Mm-hmm. And favorite food, I would say, is sushi. All right. Any particular sushi. restaurant? Oh, Kata. 
ricotta ricotta is oh, okay. the best sushi in Houston. <laughs> best sushi in Houston. <laughs> All right. And any yeah. other restaurants that you, I know you said you like to check out different restaurants. Any other ones you really like? Um, yeah. So I like Georgia James. There's, it's a good steakhouse in Houston. I recently went to Blue Dorn, which is a new restaurant in Houston. That's really good. And I enjoyed that. So those I would say, and then Kata is one of our favorites. Yeah. I mean, we, we frequent that place a lot. <laughs> Great. Uh, and one last question. Favorite sure. book? Since you said you like to read books, I'd um, ask you that one. <laughs> that's a good question. So I would say Untamed is good by Glennon Doyle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a newer book that just came out last year. So I would say that's really good. So far, Barack Obama's memoir has been very good. It's been very good to hear just from his his voice and um, his term, like his, you know, kind of his thoughts and things. And yeah, so that's what I would say. Those are the two books that I've read recently that I've really enjoyed. Okay. Well, ASMR, yeah. this has been great. I learned a lot with this, and I'm so glad that you came on here and talked about what you do in your profession. Um, I'm just so proud of you, and and I um, just want to congratulate you on all that you've done and all your accomplishments, and thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, RJ. appreciate it. All right. And is there any way that people can reach out to you if they have any questions or anything at all? Sure. Um, I think the easiest way to get in touch with me is via email. Mm-hmm. And it's my email address is S E M H A R go. So somehow go at gmail.com. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, RJ. Okay. Bye. Thank you everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.